Welcome back to another episode of Underrated. I'm Lefty. And I'm Bo. Welcome back. Thanks for joining us again. Um, Bo, you know, we're, we just finished the first week of the NFL season. We got the first Thursday night game tonight. What are you thinking so far? Yeah, you know, I think it's been interesting. I have a little bit of a week one hangover. I think uh, there was a lot of mind games that were played in week one inadvertently. And uh, I wasn't a fan of a lot of things that happened. Um, but I was I was also happy none of these uh, fairy tale endings uh, came true. Um, you know. Oh, wow. Were you the, uh, the only person in the country, maybe the world, rooting for the Browns? <laughs> <laughs> I uh, can assure you that I wasn't, but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I think everybody wanted to see Baker Mayfield go back there and beat his old team. That didn't happen. Everybody wanted to see Matt Ryan just go nuts in his first game with the Colts, and they, they tied with the Texans. So, uh, yeah, you know, just yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. You know, and, and Matt Ryan actually did have a pretty okay game. Obviously, he didn't light it up in the touchdown Numbers-wise, yeah, yeah. Agreed. Yeah, but he he's still, what, top three in the in the in the NFL after week one in passing yards. And he, yeah. uh, you know, congratulations to him on cracking 60,000 career yards. Definitely. That's a, that's a, that's a chunk. It is. And, you know, I, I got high hopes for the Colts. I think they're going to, they're, they're going to be all right. Right. So, you know, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll chat more about that, but you know, I know what's really bothering you right now is listen for our fans out there. It's been a hard week for Lefty. Uh, the Queen passed away. That's number one. EPL games were canceled. Uh, the, uh, uh, the U.S. National Women's League games. Uh, uh, no, the U.S. <laughs> the U.K. WSL. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. The, uh, no, I can, I can assure just, you I'm that. Shook, uh, I'm still shook up. I'm still shook up from the. Yeah, I, uh, I can assure the you that the National Women's Soccer League here in the U.S. still uh, still competed. And I went to one of those games. Yeah, that's right. Um, sorry, just too soon, you know. Just <laughs> gone too soon. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> what's the What's the point of being a charge of a empire if you can't crack one hundred? It's it's weak. Right. Exactly. I just you know a couple more years and and we wouldn't even would have had the scene or heard from Charles. It's just uh, yeah. Yeah. A damn shame out there. That's all I can say. Yeah, it is. It is. Well, we're going to get back on track this weekend. Well, some of the games are back. Um, I, it sounds like they, they tried to maintain the schedule for teams that they assumed would require a smaller police presence. So some mm. games are suspended, postponed. Others are happening. Sure. Um, yeah. Interesting, interesting choices there. Yeah. I don't know how you go about all that, and since it seems like a lot of work, you know, either, either call it or don't. But hey, you know, um, that's why we're not in charge of anything. So uh, let's talk about the sports world, why don't we? Uh, yeah. Uh, unless you've been living under a rock, you know by now that uh, Spanish teenager uh, just won the U.S. Open men's title, right? You see yeah. that Carlos Alcaraz? Uh, yeah. Having a great year, I'll say that. Unfortunately, is completely overshadowed by more recent tennis news already i know yeah he just federer just couldn't have it huh i mean he just couldn't have it he saw all these uh, people talking about serena he sees somebody else win the u.s open and says hey it's my time to shine you know i figure at this point in your life you know when when teenagers are, are coming up and just dominating and people are 2021 20, uh it's probably time to hang it up yeah 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 
Yeah, I mean, but, so that's fair. He's 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 made it uh, a fair amount of money. He's made some pretty sport, uh, pretty smart, uh, um, you know, merch deals. Definitely. You know, going back to Alcaraz, his, his semifinal showdown with Francis Tiafo is it was some of the most entertaining and exciting tennis I've watched in a long time. Like I'll just you know oh, say yeah. that you know, and and after um, defeating Casper Ruud in the final, he. He became the youngest number one in history of the ATP rankings. I mean, that's a first teenager in the open era to, you know, top the men's rankings. And the youngest men's U.S. Open champion since, you know, 1990. That's Pete Sampras. Remember that name? Um, yeah. But uh, on the women's side, you know, uh, Iga Sviatik, you know, 21 years old from Poland. I mean, she's already won her third career major title. This is second of the year already. So um, you can say what you want. She's proven that she's the long-awaited dominant force currently. And, you know, for the future of women's tennis, we've talked about Naomi Osaka. We've talked about Coco Gauff. Uh, those are just to name a few. If you're a tennis fan on both sides, there's a plethora of exciting young talent. I mean, hold on to your hats. It's going to be fun for the next few years, and we're going to see some of these athletes for the next couple of decades. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's uh, an exciting time to be a tennis fan. Yeah, for sure. You know. Uh, in other news, uh, Robert Sarver, owner of the Phoenix Suns and the Phoenix Mercury, unfortunately, was suspended for one year and fined ten million dollars for being a misogynistic uh, racist. Apparently, you know. He's also been uh, accused uh, of causing a hostile and toxic workplace. You know, wherever he went, including, you know, speaking to employees in a demeaning fashion, as well as yelling and cursing at people. I don't know, Lefty. Can we get these guys the hell out of sports? I, I don't know. It just seems like this is a never-ending carousel with these with these owners, man. Yeah. You know, um, just like there are no good landlords, there are no good owners. Um, it's unreal. You know, um, and clearly, what, what does a suspending owner actually do for a team? Or for that organization, absolutely nothing. It's a, it's a slap on the wrist. Um, right. It's it's pretty remarkable that we allow these things to continue to happen. Sure. And NBA Commissioner Adam Silver has been getting a ton of heat, right? You know, yesterday he said that uh, uh, he was quoted as saying he didn't have the right to take away uh, Sarver's teams, right? You know, um, he's been on notice for a while. This has been going on, but, you know, I blame the NBA as much as uh, anyone else. Uh, this is, there's got to be some guidelines in, in every sport. There, there's got to be some code of conduct, and it's got to apply to some of these owners. And we're going to continue to see this as time goes on unless they, they enforce something, right? And, uh, you know, you yeah. and I talked about it a little bit. I loved your idea about when these things go down, you know? I, I, I love your thoughts on uh, what the hell should happen to these teams. Yeah, yeah, we were just kind of spitballing the other day. Um, and, and there's so much public investment, especially in the stadiums and whatnot, that uh, I, I think when these when these sorts of events happen, I think the municipalities uh, that that have put forth so much money uh, should actually inherit these teams. Um, at least they'd go to some public good there, whether they eventually sell it for a billion dollars or whatnot. That you know that could be up to them or the constituents there, but uh, you know. Let's put these uh put these teams back in the the hands of the people rather than uh, some billionaire who is going to do some shady shit. Exactly, and you know to your point, and 
like you had said, hey, you know, if uh, the local municipalities are going to fund these giant stadiums and arenas, uh, they should have a piece of the pie, right? There should be exactly. some rights there, you know, and uh, yeah, more power to the people, man. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, and if we can see, you know, in, in the UK pretty easily, um, you know, the, the, the government was able to kind of seize the the, the Chelsea team after the, the Ukraine invasion. Um, right. Kind of without a hitch, and and they eventually sold it. But at the same time, uh, they also could have just you know done anything with it. Um, if that can happen in an easy way, there's no reason that can't happen here stateside. Whatever our thoughts about uh, ownership of exactly nonsense are. Exactly. There, there's absolutely. Um, you know, I, I like this throwing up of the hands. I've, I don't have any power. There's nothing I can do. It's out of my hand. Everything's out of your hands, right? We've got a third, we're bringing a third party to make these, uh, you know, things happen. So, um, yeah. Well, on to uh, the NFL, as we touched on. Like I said, Baker did not return to Cleveland. He didn't beat his former team. Russell Wilson was not triumphant in his return to Seattle. Uh, the Super Bowl champ Rams. Uh, didn't come out to show the world they were still the team to beat. Uh, I mean, you just had numerous other things that happened. I mean, the, the Cincinnati Bengals lost to Mitch Trubisky and the Steelers. So, like, how, how do you how do you assess that? Right? Is Mitch Trubisky were the Bears just so bad that they made him uh, a lesser player, or um, you know, is Mike Tomlin just a great coach? Right? Yeah. Um, Lots I, of questions. Was, yeah, yeah. I think that the answer for both of those things are no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, maybe it's maybe again, maybe it's the Bengals. Uh, you know, have taken a step back. Maybe you yeah. know, a lot of last year was uh, a little bit more uh, situational luck, right? Yeah. Well, uh, and it's you know, it's possible Burrow got uh, in his own head. You're the you're the god of Cincinnati. Uh, things can get away from you, uh, man. You know, it's it's so crazy. You know. How did this guy come become a freaking sex symbol all of a sudden? I mean, this is this is really well, taking a turn now. Well, I think the issue was that, uh, you know, people didn't know about Zach Wilson yet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all the other players' moms didn't know about Zach Wilson yet. That's what yeah. the issue was. Yeah, right? it, was a, it was a closed door secret. Yeah. Uh, you know, speaking of that, you know, the, the Cowboys every year is, is going to be their year and it just ended like that right yeah. before it could even get started you know what are you going to do Dak Prescott uh, even funnier is Jerry Jones does an interview yesterday and says uh, he's going to be back he's going to be back in the next uh, four four weeks or so and uh, I found that just to be uh, absolutely ridiculous yeah yeah. Well, you know, I think that this is really a a good opportunity for a friend of the podcast, Kellen Moore, to step up. Yeah, <laughs> Kellen, if you're out there, listen, we need a phone call or something, man. I mean, you're you're uh, you're calling the plays out there, pal. We need. To I know mean, you, you got to say if he can turn this one around, if he can if he can turn that offense into something uh, even just adequate, you know, I, it really is proof that uh as some have said in the last year that he might be the best offensive mind in football um and you know if he can create something out of whoever they run out there uh yeah yeah i i i i thought he was going to be the head coach of the uh the cowboys there for a minute you know but uh and, and hey listen he may still have a shot at that if uh especially if he's uh he's able to do something with cooper rush and uh 
you know, win some games here while Dak's out. But, uh, you know, we'll see. I think the biggest story of week one, though, is the the Dolphins beating the Patriots, leaving the stadium, coming out to the parking lot, and finding that half of it is just burnt down and gone away. Yeah, yeah. If if it wasn't bad enough that you had to live in Florida or possibly be a, a, a Patriots fan to come out and find that your car has been burned out because some some Florida man left their, their grill running during the game. Uh, it's a rough one. It's a real rough one. It really is. It's, you know, and I don't, you know, if you're from out of town, it's so hot in Miami that you probably came out and just thought this is what normally happens when your vehicle just sits out in the parking lot because it's just, it's, it is like the gates of hell down there, you know, with the heat and humidity. Yeah, yeah. Well, with the humidity, it usually usually prevents those uh, those fires, but uh, <laughs> not there, not there. Uh, all right, man. So uh, you know, getting back into it, the uh, let's jump into the good stuff. All right, Lefty. Anybody you want to talk about today? Yeah, there there is a certain someone. Um, as you know, it's getting a little cooler out. We're uh, we're coming down to uh, you know fall, soon to be winter. Which, uh, you know, what do you think of as the, the quintessential cold weather sport? Definitely just uh, going to the pumpkin patch and picking them up. That's <laughs> okay. So I, I was more thinking about hockey, but. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Hey, I mean, that picking, too. picking pumpkins is also a fall sport, I guess. <laughs> That's um, right, guys. <laughs> so, so I know you're a longtime hockey fan, but uh, how much do you know about the, the Flyers dynasty of the 1970s? Uh, probably about as much as, uh, the Flyers, uh, dynasty of the 1980s, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's what I meant. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, anyway, I want to talk about one of those, uh, those key players from that dynasty. Definitely. Winger Reggie Leach. Reggie Leach. Hell yeah. You know, Reggie Leach is, uh, best known for his eight years as a winger with those Flyers. Played there from, uh. You know, the 1974-75 season through the 81-82 season. And uh, won a Stanley Cup in his first year there. While uh, his legacy is still often absent when it comes to conversations about the greats of the NHL, I think his career, his personal struggles, as well as his you know impact to First Nations people are well worth a deeper dive. Definitely. So, uh, you know, Leach was born to Ojibwe parents, uh, but was soon sent to be raised by his grandparents in Riverton, Manitoba, a small town of only about a thousand people or so. Um, and that's the town to which he owes his great Riverton rifle nickname. He grew up uh, pretty impoverished, never had indoor plumbing, never even owned a new pair of skates until he was 16 years old. Um, but despite that modest upbringing, you know, he borrowed some equipment. And uh, first gave hockey a go at 10 years old, immediately falling in love with the game. In That's interviews, crazy. yeah, 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 late start, um, not not a lot of infrastructure in a small town, Manitoba, but uh, definitely gave it a go. And, you know, in interviews about his times as a child, he spoke about the, the prevalence of alcohol in his indigenous community, stating that he started drinking at the age of 12 because he thought that was normal. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, pretty pretty rough stuff. But uh, at the age of 16, he left Riverton uh, to play junior hockey, um, where he spent four years with the Flin Flon Bombers from 1966 to 1970. That's a, that's a tongue twister. 
That's yeah, what those are yeah. called. That Flin Flon team was uh, kind of sponsored by the local mining company, and he spent those four years uh, playing t- uh, playing hockey and also working in that mine that subsidized the team. Um, it was with this team in Flin Flon that he first teamed up with future Flyer star Bobby Clark. Over Bobby those four Clark. seasons. Yeah, over those four seasons, he played in 183 games and scored more than 400 points. Averaged more than two points per game. Well, you know, also quietly weathering the constant racism that was directed at him due to his indigenous background. Of course. Those those 400 points in less than 200 games uh, led him being drafted in 1973rd overall by the reigning cup champions, the Boston Bruins. Mm-hmm. So it, it took Leach a few seasons to get a foothold in the NHL. You know, it's pretty difficult when you're drafted by a powerhouse team as they don't often have a lot of room for rookies to play minutes. Right. In his second season, he was traded to the hockey mecca of Oakland, played for the Golden Seals. Um, you know, his years in Oakland were largely forgettable, surrounded by absolutely no talent, and also the continuous dull hum of racism and alcohol. Yeah. But at the insistence of his former Flynn Flon teammate and future Hall of Famer Bobby Clark, the Flyers took a flyer on Leach and acquired him in 1974. And yet again, he was the fresh face on a team fresh off a Stanley Cup championship. All right. And, you know, this is really where the, the, the Reggie Leach story that most people know started. That season, his first season in Philadelphia, he played in all 80 games. And he helped them capture their second consecutive Stanley Cup. He scored 45 goals and made his first All-Star game appearance. Crazy. Uh, he would follow up in the 75-76 season by leading the NHL in scoring with 61 goals, making another All-Star appearance, and winning the Conn Smythe Trophy as the best player in the NHL playoffs. Despite losing in the Stanley Cup Finals that year, Leach scored a record 19 goals in 16 games, setting a record that he still shares with Yari Curry to this day. Right. Just just insane production there. Insane. So, uh, you know, he, he never followed up with, you know, the same level of success that he saw in that 75-76 season, but he did continue to play well the rest of his career. He averaged 25 goals per season over his last seven years. And all told, he played in 13 seasons, accumulating 325 goals, 572 points, and had a career point share of 57.8. His plus-minus in Philly over eight seasons was an impressive 214. In terms of goals per game, he lands right ahead of Hall of Fame wingers Paul Correa and Marion Hossa. And in terms of even-strength goals, he lands three above Hall of Fame winger Bill Barber. And, and you know, these numbers really speak for themselves. He was a solid scorer. Had some brilliant highs, some brilliant years, and simply he made solid contrib- contributions as soon as he found his footing in Philadelphia. But despite this, the Hall of Fame has eluded him. And all of that said, he also had major struggles that were far more weight than similar wingers of similar eras and statistical backgrounds had to deal with. You know, his battle with alcoholism was rooted in social pressure that started when he was only, you know, 12 years old. And that struggle, that struggle continued throughout his career to the point where when he attempted to cut back or sober up throughout his career, coaches with the Flyers would heckle him and question his decision-making, telling him that he was a better player when he drank. It's, it's crazy to think of a young man like that and just, you know, all the adversity you have to overcome and you're just being enabled even as an adult. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and further, the obstacles he had to overcome as a First Nations player were also, you know, immense. He's spoken at length about the racially motivating heckling and hate that was thrown his way, dating as far back to junior hockey at 16 years old. And, like, undoubtedly that onslaught contributed to his troubles with alcohol and ultimately his shortened career. That said, when Leach stepped away from hockey in the mid-1980s and entered rehab, he overcame those troubles with alcohol. And in the nearly 40 years since he retired, he's remained clean from alcohol and dedicated his life to traveling across Canada talking to other indigenous kids about the dangers of alcohol and the game of hockey. And as one of only the first handful of First Nations players in professional sports, it's really hard to underplay how, how influential he has been to that community. So that, that really leads to the important question. Is, is Reggie Leach just another winger with good, but, but not great stats? Or is Reggie Leach underrated? Well, I think lefty from my end, you know, I can absolutely say that Reggie Leach is uh, extremely underrated. And, and why I say that is you look at the success of those teams. Um, and we can also look at individual success, okay? Um, just on the ice. You know, he won a Stanley Cup with the Flyers in 1975. He's a Conn Smythe Trophy winner. He's a playoff MVP, right? I mean, he had uh, a season where he scored 61 goals and 91 points. I mean, he led the league, you know, uh, that year. Um, at one point, he was called one of the greatest uh, pure goal scorers and in, in hockey and absolutely probably in the top three in Flyers history, believe it or not. You know, so... Um, you look at the success of those around him as well during that time. You, know, you mentioned Bobby Clark, guys like that. Those guys don't see that sort of success without having a Reggie Leach, right? Um, the role that he played within that organization was massive. And I'm not saying that that was uh, not recognized at that time, you know, um, aside from having one of the coolest nicknames, you know, in hockey. Uh, um, I... I'm not saying that went unrecognized, but it led to so much further success amongst his teammates. Most importantly, off the ice, the adversity, what he did for the, uh, you know, indigenous people, um, overcoming adversity uh, from, a, you know, being a young man, um, alcoholism, things of this sort. And during a time where you didn't have a voice, right? It wasn't like today. And so many people like Reggie Leach never had a voice. So um, it's, you know, looking at all that and taking that into account, 100%. I think Reggie Leach, um, it's kind of scary why he just continues to be unrecognized uh, as far as overall at the end of this career and has been eluded, you know, when it comes to the NHL Hall of Fame. And uh, I just want to say that's a shame. And I think now... It's never too late to go back and say you were wrong about something. You know, um, I think the NHL uh, should step up uh, and look back at Reggie Leach and, uh, you know, show some appreciation. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of similar to, uh, you know, like Mini Minoso in, in the Major League Baseball this past season. You know, mm-hmm. he, he was another player that uh, suffered a fair amount of adversity. That, that, you know, negatively impacted its career numbers. Um, but, you know, the Hall of Fame in baseball corrected that mistake. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, that's something that the NHL should consider and, and really, really do. Um, unlike baseball did before 
before Minnie's passing, they sh- they should recognize Reggie Leach, uh, specifically why he's still alive. Oh, you know, it, would, it, it, it would be a shame to 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 get that recognition. You know, too late. Definitely, definitely. At this point in his life, after everything he's experienced, um, you know, like you touched on, he's doing so much work in the the community and still reflecting on his time. I know not too long ago, maybe a year or two ago, he did an interview and, you know, uh, basically telling anyone out there, if you're struggling with what I struggled with, you need to speak up and uh, pushing uh, hockey and, and, and players to recognize and be aware of those who are around you that may or may not be struggling. Um, this is not a fight you want to fight on your own. Um, Reggie Leach, uh, even though it was, you know, well noted, noted that, uh, you know, a lot of his coaches and people around him uh, were trying to enable him because they thought he was a better player when he was under the influence. Um, you know, I firmly believe it was uh, debilitating, you know, in a lot of ways. Which makes you think, um, what? How much better could Reggie Leach? Uh, how much better would he have been had he been sober? Um, what kind of level would he be at? Right? What do the statistics yeah, yeah. look like at the end of the day? Uh, yeah, that's that's pretty crazy to think about. Yeah, and, and you know maybe maybe he would have gotten a chance in Boston, or maybe he would have turned around the the the, the Golden Seal franchise. That sure. would probably not as likely, but uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, hey, um, you never know, right? You know? Yeah, yeah, um, but yeah, yeah. He definitely, likely, you know, could have could have done even more. Um, and and we do know that alcohol shortened his career um, by quite a bit. So for sure, un- for sure. unfortunate in that regard. But uh, yeah, I think we both agree Reggie Leach is underrated. Um, so let's take a, a quick break, and we'll uh, we'll jump back here in just a moment. We are back. Bo, is there anybody you wanted to talk about today? Yes. Uh, all right. So in the honor of the NFL season, I'm going to discuss a player who's uh, not a Hall of Famer, not part of some long-tenured uh, dynasty. He has no Super Bowl rings. Uh, but if you look back on history, he can be considered one of, um, if not the first dual-threat quarterback ever. Uh, he's a four-time Pro Bowler. His career spanned nearly 16 years, and uh, we saw two retirements in that time frame. So we're going to talk about Randall Cunningham. Returning to Philadelphia. Exactly. Uh, in today's game, you see Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts, Kyler Murray, Patrick Mahomes, Right quarterbacks that can see the open field and have the ability to take advantage of it uh, they, they create opportunities outside of the pocket and and having the legs to do it you know it's almost an absolute must for a player uh, in today's game to be able to run and throw you know um, the speed of the game has just changed you know it's evolved right um, uh, pocket packer uh, po- pocket passers uh, that are still out there you know they're from a different era right it's the Brady's the, the Aaron Rodgers the Matt yeah, Ryan's yeah. we talked about those guys are from a different era the game has changed so much but um, Randall Cunningham was ahead of his time he and Steve Young were really the only two from their eras to have the ability to do this you know Steve Young's story we know 
right? And well-deserved, but Cunningham's name isn't talked about. From the beginning, his collegiate career at UNLV showed that he was a multi-tooled athlete. You know, he was All-American. Uh, he was an All-American selection in 83 and 84. And get this, as a punter. Not a quarterback, as a punter. I mean, yeah, yeah. the guy I mean, had a uh, leg. He, he still has the third longest punt in NFL history, right? At 91 yards? Absolutely. That still stands as of, as of this recording, right? So, um, you know, he led the Rebels to an 11-2 and two season, which was the only 10-win season ever in school history. Um, but that was, you know, later adjusted to 0-13. You know, a few issues with some players being in, ineligible, you know. Uh, so uh, that was erased. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, only 10-win season in history uh, to begin uh, Randall Cunningham was quarterback. Um, Eagles saw that potential. 1985 draft. He was the Eagles' second-round pick, but he was the first quarterback taken in the entire draft. You know, his rookie season in the NFL was pretty awful. Uh, He started four games. He threw a TD. He had eight interceptions. But, uh, you know, the Eagles loved what he could do on the ground. You know, he averaged 7.1 yards per attempt in just that small sample size. Uh, You know, the next season, he backs up Ron Jaworski. You know, he's filling in on third and long situations, just making appearances here and there, but eventually takes over as a starter in Week 10 um, after an injury to Jaworski's hand. And, uh, you know, the Eagles' offensive line was historically horrible. I mean, they were so bad. Think about this. He took over in Week 10 where he only started eight games and he had made appearances here and there. That season... He was still sacked somehow 72 times. 72 times. Franchise record. Unbelievable. I mean, he only started five games. It's just, uh, you know, it was was horrible. So, you know, uh, the following season, he finally gets named the number one starter, and the Eagles immediately see a complete turnaround. Um, By 88, he achieves elite status, man. You know, he's named to the Pro Bowl. He becomes the first black quarterback to start in it, believe it or not. 1988, it took that long. Uh, You know, he led the league in passing yards. You know, he takes the Eagles to the NFC Eastern Division Championship. They had a 10-6 and record. I mean, his career was uh, full of different accomplishments, you know, across the board. You know, in 89, he... He, he was uh, their punter for a majority of the season, right? That's when he yeah. unleashed that 91-yard punt. Um, uh, like we said, that still stands. You know, he also rushed for 942 yards. You know, the standard, really, for an NFL running back even today is 1,000 yards yeah. a season. Yeah. And, and he did it as a quarterback. Yeah, you know, which he, was just totally unheard of at the time. At that time, you know. Um, he averaged 8 yards per carry that year. Uh, that was the fourth most ever for a QB. Um, you know, the 10th best in the league that season. But, uh, you know, over the next five years, Cunningham only had one season where he didn't win at least 10 games or more. You know, I mean, it, his consistency was pretty incredible. The one season he wasn't able to, to win 10 or more games, he tore his ACL in week one. Um why this is important to talk about, this injury is where we really see a change in his speed, his athleticism. I mean, it really, he never was able to recover from this injury, you know. 
Um, even so, he did come back the following season, go 10 and 5. And uh, he did rush for 594 yards, but he never rushed for more than, you know, 280 yards in a season after that again. So, you know, 93-94, he gets stuck in this West Coast offense. He could never really grasp. He gets benched. He gets frustrated. The sport has taken this toll on his body, and he's now a backup, right? So he, he announces his retirement. You know, he, he's, he holds multiple records with the Eagles organization. Um, and he just decided, hey, I'm done. But that wasn't the end. After sitting out all of 1996, Vikings head coach Denny Green called Cunningham while he was, <laughs> he was on the job site for a granite business he was running. <laughs> that was his post-retirement right there. Uh, and asked him to come back to football. So he returns in 97. He made a few appearances, but 1998 changed everything. It changed everything for, 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 for Randall Cunningham, and it changed a lot for the sport of football. Um, Cunningham's named the starter. He's got Chris Carter, some kid named Randy Moss, Jake Reed. Vikings go 15-1. and one. He throws 34 touchdowns. He's only throws 10 interceptions. He's got 3,700 pass yards. He leads the league in passer rating. I mean, they scored a then NFL record 556 points. Wow. Uh, you know, making him the first black QB to lead the league in that category again. You know, we're, we're talking 1998 at this time. First black QB to do it. On Monday Night Football against the Green Bay Packers, he threw for 442 yards and four touchdowns, and he called it the greatest night of his football career, you know, but the Vikings ended up being the first 15 and one team to fall short of the Super Bowl. You know, they eventually lost uh, by an overtime field goal against the Falcons. After that, you know, Cunningham struggled, you know, he, he struggled bad in 99 and he eventually got released so they could clear the way for some guy named Dante Culpepper. Uh, you know, he had stints with the Cowboys and Ravens, you know, before he finally goes back to Philadelphia, he signs a one-day contract with the Eagles. And in 2002, he hung it up for good. So here's all I want to say. We covered a lot about Randall Cunningham, but he threw for 30,000 yards in his career. He ran for 5,000 yards. He had 241 total TDs, okay? He averaged 44.7 yards on 20 punts as a punter in the NFL okay he did it all not to mention he was 82 52 and 1 as a starter 30 games above 500 okay he's never been a finalist or a semi-finalist in in Hall of Fame voting um you know at a time when offenses were built behind pocket passers he was running he was throwing and the guy's kicking punts NFL Comeback Player of the Year in 92, first-team All-Pro, two-time second-team All-Pro, four-time Pro Bowler. He's the third-leading passer in Eagles history, and he's sixth in rushing all-time as well. Sixth in rushing all-time as a quarterback. Um, and still, today, holds the record for most yards per rush attempt. If you know anything about Eagles running backs, you can name some big names there. Deuce Daly, LaShawn McCoy. None of those guys... Um, have rushed uh you know for more for more yards per attempt randall cunningham still holds that record 
but you know what? You're not going to hear or see his name on a list of all-time greats. It's not going to happen. He's not even in the discussion. So I'm going to ask you, Lefty, you think he's overrated, properly rated, underappreciated, or just flat-out underrated, man? You know, uh, it's a constant theme, I think, on our show where the the players we cover we're we're doing something nobody else was doing at a time other people hadn't done it yet you know uh, trend starters people who who changed the game in specific ways um and, and that's randall cunningham as you mentioned offenses were completely different at that time um and he really broke that mold uh and and i think his legacy has suffered because of that you know when he was surrounded by so many quarterbacks that were, you know, more traditional pocket passers, um, it, it was easy to overlook him. And with with some reason, he, he had a really solid career, and he did things that no one else had done, but they weren't always great. Um, he fumbled the ball a lot, and he threw a ton of interceptions, you know. Uh, he started 135 games in his career, and he threw 134 interceptions and had 105 fumbles. That, that, that is a lot of fumbled balls. And, right. and it, it does negate the rushing to an extent. Sure. Um, but but to, to get to your question, I think that he is, a, he is underrated and underappreciated. I, I don't know if he's a Hall of Fame player, but uh, he's, he's definitely someone who changed the game um, and, and was well ahead of his time. And I for think sure. for, in, in that regard, as a, as a player that completely changed the league, he, he probably deserves some, some Hall of Fame recognition. Um, you know, definitely. There was a reason that he was called the ultimate weapon. You know, punting a ball 91 yards is, is nuts. Um, e- even if it w- was a little unexpected and wasn't like, sure, it didn't have 91 feet of air, of air time. Right, exactly. Uh, exactly. But nonetheless, you know, those uh, the pooch punts out of the backfield, out of shotgun, uh, still incredible. Wish sure. we could see those more. But, uh, you know, the impact that he did have leading to, you know, more more rushing quarterbacks um, and ultimately to the system we have today, um, you know, is something that definitely deserves a little more acknowledgement. So, yeah, definitely underrated, definitely underappreciated. Definitely. You know, uh, it's, you know, I take a look at, we, the Hall of Fame discussion, right? You know, it's that's a tough discussion, right? But on that topic, you know, I want to take a look at a guy like Warren Moon, for instance, who is in the Hall of Fame, right? Um, this is a guy who finished his career with a 102 and 101, you know, record, right? Uh, I mean, he had a similar um, amount of TDs. Again, you know, uh, did so much for the sport, but he, he made it into the Hall. Heck, you can even look at a guy like Dan Fouts. I mean, the passing yardage isn't there. You know, Dan Fouts got about 13,000 more passing yards, um, more than, than than Randall Cunningham. But he was 86 and 84 and one in, in his, you know, in his in his NFL career. You know, I mean, he played in in a similar amount of games. Um, obviously, completely different team. But we talk about these things. He, he didn't win a Super Bowl. Warren Moon didn't win a Super Bowl. Um, so I feel like in those types of discussions, yeah, Randall Cunningham's name should be there. You know, I feel just like you do. I feel like he's underrated and he's underappreciated because at the time they were trying to stifle him. He wasn't a part of any mold, right? They were building offenses around pocket passers. 
every successful quarterback in a league, like I said, other than Steve Young, who went on to do it. And, you know, that became Steve Young's thing, obviously. And, you know, he was highly, highly successful because he was with the right organization. Um, you know, Randall Cunningham was being innovative. He knew he couldn't win every down with his arm. And he was thinking outside the box. So, um, absolutely agree with you. Randall Cunningham, 100% underrated and uh, underappreciated. But uh, hopefully one day, you know, people can look back and and see why the Kyler Murrays and the Lamar Jacksons and the Michael Vicks have existed here. Um, It's because of guys like Randall. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, it'd be interesting to see what what kind of career Randall would have, you know, with his same attributes in in the modern league. For sure. For sure, where offenses are are, are more, uh, you know, akin to that type of play style, and where where people are actually, you know, familiar with it and act- actively trying to win that way. Um, yeah, I think yeah. that uh, he'd probably be even more successful today. Definitely, and I'll say this: a lot of the quarterbacks who were heralded as some of the greats, I, I think Randall Cunningham is a survivor in the modern game, and some of those guys, I just don't believe with the speed of the game and how it's evolved and the size of these pass rushers and what goes on during the game i think if you look at mechanics and uh, uh you know fundamentals you know i, I don't know I, I know this is a hot take here but i, I don't know if the dan fouts uh, type of player you know can be that successful you know yeah, so uh, yeah you know um but i do think randall uh, would be and you know I think uh, in a different scenario different organization different time and place I, I think he could have seen more success you know um, but that's a, another what if right but uh, we we can't agree that he's underrated yeah absolutely um, you know one of those one of those questions without an answer but uh, definitely underrated underappreciated yes player. sir that's right um, so after that discussion is is there anything uh, anything in the sports week coming up that you'd like to talk about anything you're excited about okay so we're mid-september right like we're really down to the wire here you know I, i've been watching the cardinals they're they're in a, a series with the the brewers you know they just won last night had lost the evening before the race is getting tight here right i'm really keeping an eye because some of these are so close i mean and some of them you know five six seven eight games i mean that's still within reach here over the next couple weeks you know some of these can fall apart pretty quickly we saw this happen with the padres last year um i'm I'm pretty pumped this is my favorite uh time in the baseball season right here you know other than the uh, the opening weeks man you know so uh you know i uh i've been watching a lot of baseball i'll say that yeah absolutely you think the you think my white Sox are gonna pull it off three games back uh Three more games with the the division leading Guardians. Listen, you know if, uh, if they can keep TLR out of that dugout, they got a fighting chance, man. They've been hanging in there, you know, all week, or I'm sorry, all uh, all season somehow. And I'll say this, right? We've seen crazier things. We've seen yep. wild card teams uh, over the years that have barely won 80 games going to the playoffs and you know work some magic. You know, it never ceases to amaze me, right? So it's just just getting over that hump, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, if only he had uh, needed to replace his pacemaker about six weeks earlier. 
yeah, I I don't know how you uh, how they could even consider putting uh, Tony back out there, man. Listen, Tony, you gotta. This is gotta they, stop. Honestly, they shouldn't even be <laughs> near the team. This is got. Uh, this has gotta stop, man. This is getting crazy. Yeah, we had discussed it, but uh, you know, even even national media is turning on him. There was a, there was an article written. Uh, it was published in the Athletic. Uh, I think it was yesterday. You know, just just telling him to to step away while he still has a little bit of dignity. Um, absolutely, uh, just let it go. Again, here you're almost eighty years old. What else is there to prove? Like, just let's call it a day. I think we're good, man. I think you got a you got a couple a couple rings. Uh, yeah, I think you yeah, th- go I hang out with done your, the dance, right? Go hang out at your animal. Place exactly, in Arizona or whatever. Play, play with your dogs. Drink, drink yeah. some wine. Just listen. Retire. Well, probably, probably not that one. Probably uh, not. Yeah, that. he doesn't have a history, uh, a good history with alcohol. He, uh, well, he doesn't have. Yeah, he doesn't have a good history with street. A lights. lot of things. Yeah. 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 Unfortunately, well, like I said, I'm just glad he's okay. Don't want to see another situation like with the Queen. It's gone too soon. Yeah, that'd be a shame. We got. Uh, uh, we got your Brentford boys playing uh, at what? What? What is it? Uh, They're playing midnight. Arsenal. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. Four a.m. here. Four a.m. here on <laughs> Sunday morning. Uh, yeah, I don't think I'll be awake for that one. I try to wake up for those seven a.m. games, but uh, I've even made it. You know, I, I've even made it for one of the six a.m. games, but uh, four a.m. Pacific is uh, just not going to happen unless I'm yeah. still awake for some reason. Yeah, I mean, like. The thing that just agitates me is that, you know, uh, we're, we're going out of town this weekend, and now it's going to be, what, weeks, weeks since I've watched the game. Like, yeah. this is just yeah. like, this is irritating. You know, I, I feel I feel distant. I feel I have the FOMO, like I've missed something, even though I know they didn't even play less. It's just the whole <laughs> thing, man. I just, it, it drives me crazy, you know. You know, we will get another chance to watch one Brentford player, though, that you want to mention. Ivan Tony, who just uh, had a hat trick in the last in the last Brentford game, got called yeah. up to the English national team. That's the first time a Brentford player has been called up to the English national team since really? World War II, since 1939. I think the Queen was still 70 at that at that time. Yeah, yeah, she was. She was a, uh, you know, she was a senior, but she was younger. That's pretty wild. Like I. Uh, you know, I can't imagine. Just, I mean, are there any teams that have never had anyone called up? Uh, that's that's something I'd like to dig into, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. Who's um, out there that hasn't had a player called up to the to the national team? Yeah, it's hard to say. Um, I'm sure there's somebody, but uh, I don't know if it's any current Premier League teams. Right, right. Well, you know, I'm just glad it's back. You know, it's. Uh, uh, I'm sure the players. I know there's going to be a lot of, uh, you know, memorial type, you know, things. Uh, but uh, you know, uh, I'll be happy to see them get uh, get back on the pitch and, and moving around. Uh, obviously, NFL week two. Um, you know, hey, listen, I gotta say, I'm 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 proud of you. You, I didn't think you were gonna, you know, flip on a game this season. You know, or, or maybe accidentally, like if you're waiting for your tires to get changed on your car or something, the game was on. But like, I mean, you've been keeping up well, man. I gotta say, yeah, really yeah. I mean, I, I refresh my Twitter feed. Um, I, yeah. I did. I did turn on uh, the the Seahawks game the other day. Um, oh. 
I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. I'm glad you brought that up because <laughs> I mean, with you being a local now, like, uh, you know, I, everyone, there's a lot of people who were really shocked, you know, about Russell Wilson's uh, reception uh, for his homecoming. So, you know, I want to get uh, the a local's take, you know, first take on this. What, what are your you know, thoughts? What happened here? Well, I don't know if anybody actually liked Russell Wilson or they liked him because they, he was the quarterback of their team. As we've talked about all week, that dude is uh, the definition <laughs> of corny. Everything he, he does is embarrassing that, f- to everyone like, around him. I have to say, so I've been out of the loop. Like I, I hadn't. Yeah, ESPN re- released this pretty, you know, deep article about a lot of this. You know how his voice had fallen on deaf ears, essentially. Right? There was a lot of, you know in-house drama that was going on and just the corniness too and then like ever since this whole you know return after he leaves denver now he's back in seattle playing it's like it, it just like the earth opened up right like i mean all this stuff had come out and it is some of the funniest shit i have seen on the interwebs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, crazy. This guy is a freaking dork. I mean, and I just didn't know if it was like, you know, I told you jokingly. I'm like, you know, here he's walking around. He's just goody two shoes. Everything's about faith and family and all this stuff like this. But, um, you know, maybe he's living a double life. Maybe he's like, you know, cartel member or something like that. Yeah, that probably, probably not. I don't think he's he's even cool enough to have those thoughts. Yeah, but, man. But I did enjoy uh, both uh, Richard Sherman and Doug Baldwin uh, throwing shade at him on on Twitter after they lost. Uh, <sighs> that was uh, it, it. Just goes to show that uh, even when they were the most dominant team in in football, everybody yeah. around him still hated him. <laughs> Jeez, man. You know, it's it, like I said, it's crazy. Um, you know, you you've got one idea of, of who a player is, and then you know there's a there's a different perspective, you know, uh, that just comes out of the out of the woodwork there. But uh, I think this was just stuff that was going on for a long time. I just wasn't paying attention. That's what it seems like now. Yeah, yeah. Um, either way, uh, probably not somebody I'm going to think about again for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know, right? That's uh. Yeah, I, I'm glad that it's over. There was a lot of first week. Uh, I, I, the NFL was pushing for a lot of, uh, you know, drama. Uh, yeah, not even well, on the we field. saw we we saw two incredibly dominant performances from uh, Jonathan Taylor and Justin Jefferson. Yeah, uh, I I didn't realize this, but th- that was uh, Justin Jefferson had his fifth career game with at least 165 yards receiving. That's the same number of career 165 receiving yard games as Devontae Adams mm-hmm. has had in his entire career, as Marvin Harrison had in his entire career, and Marvin. Reggie Reggie Wayne had in his entire career. Yet, he's not even played in 50 career games, Justin Jefferson. No. That's just insane production. What's even crazier is that, you know, everybody, including myself, talks about the uh, Kirk Cousins and where he's all constantly lacking and he's been able to put up these types of numbers with yeah. Kirk Cousins as his quarterback. It is incredible. And I, I want everybody to think about this. Like, this could be a team right now had the Vikings not made this trade. They could have had 
Stefan Diggs and Justin Jefferson on the same freaking team at one time. That is creepy. That is scary yeah, to think yeah. about, you know, but uh, I've got Justin Jefferson on every single, I have three fantasy football teams. I'm a freaking loser, but he's on every single one of them and he <laughs> well, was amazing. I mean, yeah. I mean, he probably carried your team. De- I mean, definitely, you know, I, he, I just, the abilities that this young man has, I mean, he's going to, he continues to do this. I mean, he's going to, a couple of years, he'll be one of the all-time greats. And I, I mean that like a couple of years, just based on abilities and, uh, you know, talent, uh, w- without a doubt, he'll be in that, you know, conversation with uh, Calvin Johnson, with Megatron, you know, the guy yeah. is going to retire, yeah. you know, at 30 or whatever, and yeah. just still be one of the all-time greats. That's where Justin yeah. Jefferson is. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of a similar level of early career dominance that we, we saw Jonathan Taylor also, uh, you know, continue this past week. Yeah. And see, I was, I, I was worried about, you know, him. I, I thought, man. You know, maybe this one-off season, he did too much, right? He, there's, you, you can't duplicate that. I I don't know, man. Like he's, he's just a workhorse. He's just a workhorse, and I hope down the line, it, it you know, he doesn't beat himself up so bad yeah. that, uh, you know, you start to see it, you know, the wear and tear because yeah. uh, in football, you know, that's what happens. So, yeah. uh, well, I, you know, uh, he has he has eighteen hundred yards. Just since week four of last season. Crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. There's I no mean, other running back that even has cracked 1,200 in that in no, that period. Absolutely not. Um, most importantly, you even touch on this, uh, Giselle was about to divorce Tom Brady over him on retiring. I think that's, you know, uh, something we need to worry about. Are, are we sure it's the retirement and not the, the Botox or whatever he's he's doing to look like an emaciated skull? Right. <sighs> He, he shows up looking very gaunt with a terrible 90s haircut. And, uh, you know, obviously something's going on with his face. Uh, his chin looks bigger than ever. Very, very odd, right? But uh, just recently, Giselle did a an interview. And, you know, to touch on a serious topic, she was concerned about, you know, his body and CTE. And mm. at 45 years old, he is our, I mean, he's the greatest quarterback of all time there's without question there's nothing else that this man has to prove he just won another super bowl last year what are you getting back out there to to, to prove you know yeah yeah what it what, 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 what you know what are you getting out, back out there to uh to, to to prove man so it's just like look i'm sure though you know if anybody has some pseudoscience diet that will fix cte tom brady's probably already written a book about it yeah and it's probably uh, the it, it's the base is probably beets or something you know yeah yeah you can only eat meat for 30 minutes a day and it has to be like from a specific farm in new zealand yeah Um, definitely it's you know what the cure for it is it's just like some rare seaweed you can only find in uh you know uh uh, the pacific or some shit you know yeah yeah he'll be uh, talking about it this week on the joe rogan experience dude whatever he's doing (laughs) like you know God bless the man, because, uh, you know, if it's if it's not just artificial, like, Botox and stuff, but, you know, I don't know how you continue to play a sport like football at f- age 45, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's still taking hits. Like, let's not downplay it. I mean, you're almost 50 years old. You're still taking hits. You're still getting sacked. You're, you're still getting knocked around. Like, I, I don't even understand it. I don't even know why he's out there, you know, but... Uh, 
guy keeps getting back out there and that Bucks team is banged up, man. Like I'm like yeah. I can understand other seasons. I don't know. I don't know about this one. Like why you even go out there? They barely beat that Cowboys team that was freaking terrible the other night, so we'll yeah. see. It'll be interesting to see what happens, especially week three against the Packers. Um once yeah. they play a, a, a team that's actually decent. Or the the Chiefs in week four. Uh yeah. Exactly. Might you're, be a you're little gonna, rough. You're gonna have two people two two people out there combined age of ninety. Uh, going up against each other, you know, so so that'll be interesting, you know. Yeah, I, still I still younger I, than than the queen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I I'm gonna eat I'm gonna eat some like bangers and mash or something in in, in memory of this woman this weekend or something like. Yeah, I'll uh, pour out a can of beans. Pour out a can of beans. Uh, we're That's we're going off the rails. So. <laughs> we'll wrap this up. Shocking. Uh, <laughs> Bo, uh, you know, it was nice talking to you. We we got to talk about Randall Cunningham and Reggie Leach, two players Absolutely. that uh, are most assuredly underrated. Um, you know, I hope you have a really, really great time on your trip this weekend. Uh, yeah, uh, thank you. Thank and you. And we'll be back next Friday to discuss two more underrated players. Heck um, yeah. You can follow us on Twitter at underratedpod. That's at underscore rated underscore pod. Um, and you can listen to this episode and every episode on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever podcasts can be found. All right. Until next time.